uh, I'm excited to focus on Psalm 131, and really, really beautiful. So with that, I want to pray and ask for God's favor. Lord, I love you. Seeing everyone that's here, those online, makes me so happy. Would you please bless tonight and the, the encouragement of your word. It is life. We know it's life. And we want to soak it up because we desperately need you. Uh, please accomplish tonight what only you can. Thank you so much. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Psalm 131. I'm going to read this out of the New American Standard 2020 translation. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes arrogant, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. I have certainly soothed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against his mother. My soul within me is like a weaned child. Israel, wait for the Lord from this time on and forever. Three verses, so simple. Let's kind of go deep with this thing. By way of an introduction, the superscription says this is a psalm of David, that David wrote this. Dating it, it's going to probably be around 988 BC. We don't know the context. We don't know if he's exhausted and he's uh, hiding in a cave and he's, he feels like he's being hunted down by Saul and his, his warriors and he's exhausted and he's saying, you know what, Lord, this is beyond my control and I'm just going to relax. I'm going to let go and let you. We don't know if that's the backstory or if, if it's the collapse of his family relationships, particularly with his dad and mom. We don't know. But whatever it is, it was significant enough that it pushed him to a point in which he had to stop striving. Uh, the psalm is really a contrast between pride and faith. And faith, meaning by that, assumes humility. And it uses the language of a mother and a child. Now, in this sense, metaphorically speaking, the child is Israel and the mother is God. Okay. David is saying, I am like a child weaned resting on my mother's lap. Israel, wait on God. And there's the leap into the idea that Israel has got to learn to be like a weaned child contented on mom's lap. Um, you, you may not be fully aware of these things, but in the Old Testament and even in the New, there are several places that refer to God's character and, and how it's expressed in gendered language. Obviously, it's male. I mean, that's, that's the, the grand assumption. But there are times in which God is described in feminine terms. For example, Genesis 1, 26, 27. And it says, let us make man in our image. And it says, and so he made them male and female in his image. So the fact is, femaleness is every bit a part of the image and character of God as is maleness. All right? Maleness is not exclusive to God's character. Uh, Numbers 11, 10 through 15, uh, it's, it's really an upsetting story. Israel is, uh, they're in this migration phase. They're 
frustrated, it's hot, they've left at least a secure social system in Egypt, and they're pushing Moses to the limit, and they're complaining about water, they're complaining about food, and finally, Moses loses it, all right? And, uh, and well, in fact, the anger of God is kindled, it says, like a fire. It pushes Moses to the edge, and Moses says to God, to Jehovah, did I birth these people? Am I, am I nursing them? No, you are. Don't kill them. So it's really an amazing story where, where Moses is a savior-like figure asking God to be patient with his unruly, frustrating kids, Israel. By the way, uh, if you're a little bit of a Hebrew buff, Israel in Hebrew, Yisrael, two Hebrew words, Yisrael, and Yisra means what? And you may remember, anybody? It means to fight, to contend with, to fight for, to seek after, to struggle with. God fights for Israel, Yisrael, the one that God fights for, okay? So Moses is saying, hey, you're the one that's supposed to be fighting for them. You're the, you're the parent, not me. All right, uh, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 66, Isaiah 66, 13. Very, very feminine language used to describe how God cares for Israel. And then Paul even says this in in. 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, look, when, when I was with you, I was tender and careful and gentle with you, just like a, a nursing mother. And then as he progresses in his argument, and he goes, you know what? In fact, I was even like a dad. I encouraged you, I exhorted you, and I, and I was protecting you. So really amazing qualities of kind of the job description of a mom and the job description of a dad is embedded in First Thess 2. It'd be good for you to study. But these are just examples that gendered language is used to describe God both as male and as female, okay? Uh, so let's, let's dig in here. I want you to get this. So we gotta, we've got to work on some concepts. So Lord, my heart is not proud. Gabah in Hebrew, proud. And the idea of it is just what you would imagine it to be. Arrogance, pride, the idea of being above, better than. In fact, if you look at all these, these words, they principally have the idea of something up above. My eyes are literally not raised up. Have you ever had a, a relationship and you say something, they don't like it, and they do this? You know, the eyes go up immediately like, ah, which is a little gesture we Westerners use that indicates, I really think you're an idiot. Ah, the eyes go up, all right? That's the idea in Hebrew culture here, that there's a lifting up of the eyes that is worshipful and brokenness. Sure, I lift my eyes to you, Lord. But when it's done in pride, it's, it's at this arrogant flipping of the head kind of thing. And uh, room is the term, nor are my eyes room lifted up. Uh, nor do I involve, and this is a little bit of a challenge, halach in Hebrew. And it, it means, if you're going to kind of get at it literally, it means uh, I'm not walking about. I'm not stepping into the room and walking about it, uh, the real estate. I'm not walking about this place where I think... I can handle 
great matters. That's tough to translate gadol in Hebrew. In fact, uh, if you've got the ESV, and I think you do, Michal, it says marvelous things. Uh, I, I'm, not real, I'm not real content at translating gadol as marvelous. Uh, it, it's plural, by the way, in Hebrew. And so the idea here are, are things that are very complex and profound, very challenging, difficult thing, and there's more than one of them. Uh, an English word that might get at it, things that are beyond your skill sets and overwhelming. You know, Jackson, you're a very skilled uh, uh, electrician, but if you had to pop in and do a job for NASA, maybe a little bit above what you're used to as opposed to a residential thing. That's the idea. This thing is way bigger than me, way bigger than my skill sets, way bigger than my intellectual, emotional, spiritual, moral abilities. It's beyond my reach, and there's a lot of it going on, and I'm absolutely overwhelmed. Okay, I think that's the idea in Hebrew Gadol. I don't think it's something wonderful and marvelous. You know, I don't think that's it at all. Because David said, uh, when I read your word, I see marvelous things. So I'm not walking about in things beyond my reach beyond my abilities, or things, pala, things too difficult, past my reach, past what I can handle. Uh, uh, room lifted up, raise, raising the eyes in arrogance. Uh, Proverbs thirty thirteen. there's a kind of person, there's a kind of pride, oh, how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. Pala, beyond reach, beyond ability, beyond power, uh, something you cannot handle. Um, Psalm 139, I love this language. Lord, you have encircled me behind and in front and placed your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high and I cannot comprehend it. That's the idea. There are things we just can't get. Um, Many, many years ago, my daughter, uh, Rebecca, came to me and she said, Dad, you know what, I've, I've always heard people say, God will give you right, all you can handle. God, God will give you what you can handle. And, and she said, Daddy, that's not true. And I said, okay, why do you mean that? Why, why do you believe that? And he said, she said, because I believe God gives you more than you can handle so that you'll come running to him. And I said, Rebecca, you're correct. God knows our weaknesses. God always gives us a way of escape, sure, so that we can handle it. Yeah, I get, I get that one. But God puts us in situations that absolutely overwhelm us, that push us right to the edge, edge of our sanity, as, I mean, even physically to our limits, pushes us right up to the edge and beyond so that we will come running to him. Absolutely. God does it all the time. Um, let's dig in. Verse 2. I have certainly soothed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against his mother. My soul within me is like a weaned child. He's repeating it. When David bothers, when any of the psalmists bother to repeat an idea, that's our cue. Hey, pay attention. Pay attention. Um, so the Hebrew, this... Um, the second paragraph here. 
Certainly, surely, im is Hebrew. The words, and you, you read Hebrew, of course, from right to left, it's im lo shava, im lo shava. I have certainly would be a, a rough English equivalent. I have certainly. That, he, that formula, im lo shava, it's an oath, it's oath language. Just like if you read certain code on a house or a job, you know exactly what you're going to be dealing with. If you're a Hebrew thinker and you hear im lo shava, you know that an oath is, is involved right now, an oath. Now, what do you guys, pop quiz, engage me, what do you know about oaths in Israel? Are you, should you make an oath? Okay, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you're going to make an oath, do not defer. You better fulfill it. You're better off never making an oath than to make one and break it. Jesus said, you know, you have heard it said, swear by heaven. He said, I say to you, don't you vow at all. But let your yes be yes or your no be no. Because anything that goes beyond that is what? It's from the devil. It's paneru. It's evil. It's it's from the evil one. That's good, Madison. You, You did it really well. Absolutely. But then you have in Hebrew culture all kinds of stuff about vows. You know, they I I swear this. I swear that. It was a part of Hebrew culture. So the idea is this. May God do so to me and even more if I'm lying. That's the oath. So Bruce and his best friend are going to, he's going to buy a car from his best friend. And Bruce says, tell me the truth. What's the mileage? And the man says, may God punish me more so. May more judgment fall on me than ever would fall on you if I'm lying. I promise the, the mileage hasn't been messed with. It's got 100000 I'll sell it to you for five, $5,000. The guy's literally using oath language. I swear, I promise, may more evil come upon my head than ever would fall on you if I'm lying. Okay, that is im lo. What's that? Overused car. Over, overused car, right. So, so okay, now, now here we go again. If you're just reading English, you'd never catch that. But now you see it. So what's going on? That David is saying, you know what? And allow me to to just paraphrase. I swear, I promise before the Lord. I promise. I'm vowing. I have calmed myself down. (laughs) I have soothed myself. I have quieted myself. It's real. It happened. I did it. In fact, it's so real, the best way to describe what's going on inside of me spiritually is I'm like a weaned child resting on mom's lap. And then he says again, yeah, my soul is like a child that's been weaned. There's a lot there. David's writing some things that are very deep from the very depths of his heart. Nefesh is his soul. Uh, that's right out of Genesis 1, 1 and 2. God scooped up the dirt, made Adam and whew, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living 
nefesh, a living soul. Okay, so my soul is calmed. Soothe, shavar. Uh, in the most literal sense of Hebrew, it means we've hit level ground. Um, I, I know it's going to sound simplistic and, and perhaps a little, you know, bear with the illustration. I'm trying to make a point. You know how hard it is for us old people to climb Pinnacle Mountain? And then when you finally get to the top, you go, level ground. You know, and it's just kind of nice to get on level ground. Uh, it can mean that. But it even can mean uh, to make to lie down. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 23, you make me lie down in green pastures. You take me to a level place, a place of peace, of soothing, of comfort. And he's talking about his soul, not his body. Um, I have found as I have aged, that the things that cause me the most problems are not my body. They're my soul. It's what's inside that can rob me of peace. So soothe, shava, stilled to quit moving, literally stop moving, be leveled, lie down, rest, internal state of mind. I'd mentioned earlier about Isaiah 66. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Okay. Verse 3, uh, Yisrael, the one I fight for, God fights for, wait, Yechal, wait. This is interesting. He's going from, hey, I promise you, I calm down. I, I swear, I promise. I've calmed down and I've learned to regulate what's going on inside of me. And then he makes the practical application that if it worked for him, it's going to work for Israel. So he makes it now a national concept. Israel, wait. For from the Lord, uh, for the Lord, from this time forth and forever, I want you to wait. Okay. You call wait. It's in the PL stem, which means um, it's active, active voice. So it, it has to do with hope. But really, it's waiting, just physically waiting. And... For me personally, waiting is sometimes the way I, I prove I have hope. Um, it's like that psalm that says, uh, be still and know that I am God. Quit moving. Stop. Um, uh, you know that Rebecca, our daughter, uh, you know, feeds, um, feeds little Evelyn Margot and, and of course, um, you know, um, Phoebe's weaning and uh, boy, when Phoebe doesn't get her way, <laughs> wow. I mean, talk about impulsive. Talk about Evelyn. When, when she's ready to eat, nothing. You don't, you don't rationalize with an eight-month-old, nine-month-old. You don't rationalize. Now, calm down. It'll be 15 minutes. They don't understand that concept. They want food right now. Um, <clears throat> Waiting. Now we're, we're moving away from the metaphor of a mother and a weaned child. We're moving now to the nation of Israel and the principal idea that David wants them to get that if you're spiritually healthy and you've learned this idea of contentment, you know how to wait and how to handle not getting what you want.
and how to maintain a relationship with God and the people in waiting. Now, the word you have called, it's, it's featured. Psalm 31, 24. Be strong, let your heart take courage. All you who ye call for the Lord. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who wait, ye call. For I wait for you, Lord. You will answer me, Lord my God. Why are you in despair on my soul? And why are you restless within me? Wait for God. For I again will praise him for the help of his presence, my God. So, all right. You become spiritually like a weaned child when you learn how to wait, especially when you're not getting something that you think you desperately need or desperately want, or you've gotten yourself in trouble by taking responsibility for things that are not assigned to you. And boy, that's where, that's where things get tough. Okay, So look at that again. Just glance at it. I'm not going to involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. I promise you, I've soothed and quieted my soul. I'm like a weaned child. Yeah. I'm like a weaned child in my heart. Israel, be like me. <laughs> Learn to wait. Learn to find hope and peace in waiting. In fact, settle this like I have. This is something we've got to do right here, right now, and for the rest of our days. Okay. And let's look at life application. By the way, uh, if you're reading Hebrew, the reading might be something like this. Lord, not as proud my heart, nor raised up in pride my eyes. I don't walk about arrogantly in great matters or things out of my reach. Yes, I have soothed and quieted my soul as a weaned child of his mother. As a weaned child is my soul. Hope. Let Israel and the Lord from henceforth and forever. So let's do some life application. Number one, what is it about God that is comforting to you? Open mic. What do you think? What is it about God that is comforting? Or, you know, there are times when you think um, Hebrews, to fall into the hands of God is a terrible thing. It's a scary thing, the writer of Hebrews says. But what is it about God that comforts? What would you say? Okay, he's a protector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very comforting. That's good. Someone else. Psalm one thirty nine. Where are you going to go to get away from him? You can't get away from him. He's there. Okay, good. Yeah. Somebody else, what's comforting about, about the Lord? One day he'll right all wrongs. But in the middle, it's a long wait. Yes. You don't have to fight to control the situation or to make the world the way you want it because you know 
And that's comforting. It sure is. How about this one? What truth of God's word, a promise in scripture, something that helps bring contentment and resolution to you? Is there a scripture that you really can anchor in it to say, that helps me feel weaned, contented? He will never forget you nor forsake you. Yeah, Hebrews 13, 5. That's so good, David. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? A truth that you really anchor onto that gives you contentment? Okay, let's do this one. Um, it's very prideful, very prideful, hubristic to think we can solve all of life's complex problems and difficulties on our own. Can't do it. Life is bigger than me. Life, family, the ministry, me, it's, I can't handle it. It's beyond me, right? Pride is related to, related to the original sin. Hey, eat this. You'll be just like God. How awesome is that? You know? Can you imagine being like God? How cool is that? They made a movie about it. Bruce Almighty, you may remember that. What if we had God power? Would it be a good thing? No. That's, that's the lie. First John 2.16, um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life are all the stuff. Don't love the world, the things of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is what it says, which a lot of scholars say John is going right back to the garden story, the temptation story. Absolutely. Yeah. I deserve. Greed is I will get. Pride is I deserve. And that's where Satan beats us. Yeah, and that's why pride well I'll, yeah, you'll you'll see a scripture here that gets at it. So what is the relationship between being spiritually weaned and spiritually waiting? What's the relationship between those two ideas? Don't answer all at once, please. Please take turns here. Is there a relationship? There's, there's got to be. That's really what the text says. What does it mean to be weaned? What's that basic concept? What's that? Yeah, it means to no longer be... Uh, to be... Um, limited to one strict food source, right? You are no longer dependent upon that, the breast. You now can feed yourself. You're getting food from other sources now, right? You're pulling away from this one thing that you're dependent on, and you're now moving toward self-sufficiency in feeding yourself. What does it have to do with waiting, spiritually waiting? God wants us to come off the world and be exclusively 
uh, nourished by him and his will. You know, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, Sloan, you mentioned, or Michelle, you mentioned, trusting him that he's going to take care of things. And in the end, it's going to, it's going to make sense in the end. And Sloan, he's a protector. So you can stop the crying, stop the temper tantrum to get the thing that immediately comforts you and seek out the will of God and wait. Learn to wait on God. Okay. Uh, what is contentment? How would you define it? Pop quiz. What is contentment? What's that, dear? Happy with what you've got. What did they ask the billionaire question? How much is enough money? Do you remember what he said? One more dollar. Happiness is always a little more, a little more, a little more. Yeah. How do we, how do we get it? How do, what does a Christian do to get contentment? It's about peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Can you think of something, Andrew, in the Sermon on the Mount that has to do with this? Something about barns? Yes. Um, he gathers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he had a barn. He filled it. How about storing? Store it for yourselves. Not on earth. Yeah, yeah. You want condemnment? Invest in heaven. Not on earth, yeah. Okay, here's some scriptures. Psalm 46.10. Stop striving and know that I am God. You know, you all have kind of alluded to that. Michelle, you did. You know, Michelle, if we really can't settle up on who God is, it's a big fight. We've got to figure out who God is. We've got to settle. If, if Jehovah is God, settle it. Done. You know, Joshua 24, 15. <laughs> if you don't want to serve Jehovah, that's fine. You figure out who your God is and you go after them, after me and my house. It's, it's God. Done. Issue settled. But it's on you. Stop striving and know that I am God, not you. What did that famous scene in and Rudy, kid, this is the theologian, you know, the 80-year-old theologian sitting in the Notre Dame, you know, chapel, and this kid's trying to figure life out, and the kid's, and he says to the kid, look, there's two things I know. Number one, there is a God, and number two, he's not you. Settled. <laughs> it ain't you, kid, you little red-haired boy. You know, you, you love football, that's great, but you're not God. Uh, James 4 God is opposed to the proud, the lifted up ones, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 6 reproduces that idea. Now, this is really profound. Hebrews 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, and you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk, the spiritually unweaned, is unacquainted with the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. You're acting like a baby when you stay on milk spiritually. 
Solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. And that's where it's at. That's where it's at. Okay, how about you? Anything about Psalm 131 that you think um, we need to we need to really draw wisdom from? I will not walk about in things that are above me and beyond me. I love the final two questions. What is overwhelming you right now? Is there something in your life that you can't control? <laughs> is there a number eight? No, 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 that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is there something in your life you can't control? By the way, that probably means a person, I'm just ballparking, you know, just guessing there's probably somebody you can't control. And that pushes you to the edge, you know. Um, what is Jesus teaching you through this? The people you can't control, the situations you can't control, the boss, uh, a workload, uh, expectations, a spouse, a child, a grandchild. You don't have to answer. You understand the question, though. Are you exhausted above and beyond your abilities and you and your arrogance, your spiritual hubris, you think you got this and you jumped in and you took ownership of things that are quite frankly beyond you and you need to be like a weaned child stop the crying get off the milk get onto the meat of the word and be still and rest and learn contentment learn that Jesus teaching anybody what do you think Psalm 131 how do we live it out anybody somebody online Bruce, any words of wisdom? All right. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's uh, let's think about this for a minute. Uh, Do you think <clears throat> through the, um, the arrest scenario, the punishment scenario, the crucifixion, do you think Jesus waited? Did he demonstrate a kind of waiting on God? Do you think? Sure. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he knew something was coming. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of, of God the Father. Yeah. For the joy set before him. He could see beyond it. He knew there's, there were, the prize at the end was of such value that he was willing to wait on God and do it God's way, which was the offering of his body as the full sacrifice for our sins. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord that which he also delivered to you. 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. How about betrayal? Does that push you to the edge? Does that make you want to wait, or does it make you want to get in revenge? He was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay. Let me pray and we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for the way you have been kind above and beyond anything that any of us could really imagine. And that you're a good father. You're a good parent. And even though we throw our little temper tantrums on your lap, you're slowly working out your good character in us so that we become like a still contented child content with who you are and content with being in the safe place of your will. Thank you for a gift that goes beyond anything that I can describe. Thank you, Father. We take the Lord's Supper now in remembrance of you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. On uh, August 15, a few days ago, we did a, a Zoom prayer meeting. It was, Bruce, it was wonderful. I loved it. Absolutely. Loved it. And that was our guide for prayer. And uh, it was so beautiful the way all of you muscled through that with me, prayed for an hour. It was, it was something precious. Um, um, I talked to Jan today. Jan is finally doing better. So exciting. She's eating a little bit more, trying to get some strength back. And uh, Sarah is sitting up, I think, from what Janice said. Oh, yeah, she's okay. still standing up. So, yeah, when I left, she was... Um, Walking about, maybe? Yeah, Janice had just gotten back from the store, and then uh, Amanda's friend had brought some things over from Trader Joe's, and so she was in the kitchen, not, not okay. cooking, but... Okay. Uh, around, so. Yeah, yeah. Looks, looks 100% better. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. What's that? Is Jan still yes. Not on event. Um, her oxygen has gone from 100% down to 80% assist. So her pulse ox is still high, upper 90s to 100, which is what they want. But the amount of air they're forcing in has gone from 100% down to 
And that's the ideal. They eventually want her to, to certainly breathe on her own, but she can't step down until she's not so dependent on the, uh, on the oxygen. So, uh, by the way, uh, number 10, um, Justin and Annie are actually friends with the Yo family, and they lost their eight-year-old daughter in a swimming accident in a hotel pool. They turn their backs just for a little bit. You know, you know how the deal is, right? It makes sense. 45 seconds of, of what you think makes sense. And you run back real quick. And then you come back and it's too late. Uh, I don't know the story if she hit her head or what happened. But they found her dead. Andrea said that the funeral was just the epitome of being a weaned child on the lap of mother. The children spoke of their sister. The mom and dad shared and, and acted like God's grace was so sufficient. They're okay with this. It's okay. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. We're content. Just off the charts, faith in, in the face of unthinkable trauma. Um, yeah. Uh, the border crisis, what's going on on our southern border, what's going on in Af Afghanistan. Um, Selena, so any word on Les, your uncle? Um, they had, he just had a procedure just, uh, yesterday. They're going to do surgery tomorrow. I just, I don't, you know, what's going to happen. Okay, uh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. We're praying that he's going to be born again. That's what we're praying for. So, um, just regarding Afghanistan, this is uh, some stuff from Voice of the Martyrs and, and then the Family Research Council. Pray that God would protect the Christians. I have been told that one of the fastest growing churches in the world is in, the hot spots are in China, in Afghanistan, and Iran are some of the strongest, fastest growing churches. The Iranian church is mostly led by women, by the way. Um, but it's a hot spot in Afghanistan. Right now, um, the punishment against Christians will be fierce right now. Um, pray for the safety and the preservation of the women and girls in Afghanistan. Um, the Taliban would stop the violence and the, the, the repression and all that's going on. Um, world leaders would take responsibility. How's that for an understatement? and pray for the future of Afghanistan. Uh, those are really critical, critical matters. So um, let's uh, tell you what, let's, uh, let's pray before we go and wanna pray for Jan. Is there anybody else, something to pray about that I'm not aware of? Something that's going on, anything? Okay. Um, let me pray and I'll, 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 I'll bless this. Um, Abba Father, um, you know, you, you, you're, you're a good father, and we just talked about this. Your word says you protect, and you see things that we don't see, and so we're asking you to protect your children in Afghanistan, in China, in Iran, asking for a gift and a miracle of protection. I'm asking in the name of your son, Jesus, that the Taliban would be shocked at your power and your authority, and they would see they would have dreams of your son, Jesus. Speak to them of your son in their dreams. Please protect your children. 
protect the innocent and the helpless and the vulnerable from abuse in Afghanistan. And, and Lord, I pray the same for the U.S., the abuse that's going on here. God, I pray for Sloan's Uncle Les, that you will save him, that he will confess as a child that he's born again and he's put his faith in your son Jesus and Jesus lives in him. Would you please let that happen? Please, Father, thank you. Heal Jan completely. Heal Sarah completely. And Howlitz, Rasnicks, everybody just bouncing back from this thing and getting into a normal life and, and productive. Uh, Lord, thank you for the way that you've protected and blessed us already. Lord, we love you. Teach us the wisdom of waiting on you, believing that you are God. You're a good God. You're not evil and you're not hot-headed and neglectful. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Thank you all. And those online, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thank so, you, Chris. Okay, thank everyone, you. have a good night. Okay. Thank you. Bye.